it's Holy Week, the last few days before we celebrate the biggest uh, celebration and the most important feast of the Christian faith, which is the resurrection of Christ. And this week is all about our lives, about my life, about our experiences, but in the light of the, of, of the gospel that gives us hope, even in our darkest moments, even in moments of uh, trial and sin and suffering and death, this week wants to help you understand that you, you cannot run from it. It will happen to all of us. But if we keep the faith and trust uh, our Lord who has gone through death, then we too will, will find life. That's in a nutshell why this week is so important and why we keep celebrating it. It's not just commemorating something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's something that happens in the lives of all of us. And we all need that, to hear that message, that death and darkness and loneliness, it's not the end. It's not the, there, is, there is God's answer if we turn towards him. It's something that we can be saved from. And I want to specifically talk about something that in a way matches kind of the, the darker side of this week which is a message that I read on, on, on my Facebook feed of a good friend and fellow priest of mine who has announced in his parish, and for many people this came out of the blue, that he wanted to stop his work as a pastor of that parish. Very good priest, great guy, um, very creative and entrepreneurial. He's, he's been a scout for most of his life, and he, um, he's been directing these uh, youth camps uh, over the summertime. Uh, so for the months of June, July, August, he usually would be outside with teenagers and students and helping them. And he was also very popular and loved in his parish. And yet, even though he loved his work and, and loved his, uh, especially the kind of the, having the pastoral care of all these people and also the younger generations, he still announced in his parish that he would stop as a pastor there and that he would stop parish work altogether. And he decided to enter a congregation, an Augustine congregation in Belgium. Now, the question that many people, of course, have is why? Why would you do that? And in his Facebook post, he uh, mentioned a few things that made him uh, come to this decision. And the most important one was that he felt called to be much more in, innovative in his approach, that the church required something new, which he was unable to realize in, in the traditional setting of a parish. Where And that's something that all my fellow priests recognize. You're catering to uh, for the large majority of your time to an existing older generation of Catholics. But that generation, because it was such a big generation, is so demanding that oftentimes there is no room and there is no time uh, to develop new ideas to cater to the younger generation and especially to the, the people that you don't reach right now. And it's this service mentality in the, in the, I, I, perhaps it's more than service because service is, is, is an attitude and it, we're all called to that no matter in which field you work 
but it's this um sometimes i i um i compare it with uh, the takeaway restaurants it's a takeaway mentality uh people are so used to the church that always presents them with what they're familiar with and things they like even in terms of the music in the church and the liturgy um they are the older generations familiar with the language familiar with forms that they been brought up with and so they want that and they require that from uh the parish priests and then there's a new generation for who that doesn't work anymore it's not their language it's not their music they've not been ed- educated well and in order to help them enter into the mystery and to enjoy the liturgy something new is is needed and uh time and resources are needed to accompany them and he felt more and more because i think also because of the contrast between the the initiatives that he he um developed uh, over the summertime with the younger generation with these kids and then seeing that time and again not only in his parish but also in the diocese on a on a bigger level there was no room for initiatives for new initiatives there was so little space so little attention to the needs of the church right now um and and of course the needs of the older generation those are legitimate needs but the balance is gone and and he was constantly and i've i've known him for years and we've talked about this so so often in the past is like is it possible to realize that in the current uh, parochial situation is this something that you just have to uh kind of push and pull and try and hope that perhaps in a few years from now something will will work and things will change and it's this constant disappointment that it doesn't really change people don't like change um they just like things to stay the same and it's safe if things are the same and predictable and this is a temptation that is also um i think pervasive in even in the staff levels uh and the the, the direction of the parishes and the the uh, the dioceses it's this inability to focus on what is required to sometimes start anew and build up something because the current the existing situation is uh is so demanding the so i understand his choice there's another uh part of his choice is that he is uh um he is longing for a communal life um and uh, it, i think before he was ordained he lived for a while in in augustine a community and that's also something that because of the situation of the church in my country is almost impossible there are so few priests and so many churches and communities that most of the priests live alone isolated uh, sometimes uh, at a huge difference from their colleagues we hardly see each other that is definitely true we we see each other a few times a year and even then oftentimes it's impossible because there's so there are so many specific demands so that we you know we, we sometimes people have to when there is a meeting people can't come because they're so busy or there's a funeral or this or that but he wanted to live a life in a community and uh, he's even tried that and i remember that uh, together with uh, another friend of us we we went to see the bishop and we asked him uh, is there a possibility for that can we come up with a 
form in which we are perhaps helping several parishes, but, but there is a commu- we can live in a community and help each other. And also, with, with a few priests together, we can develop new initiatives. And basically the answer was, it's too soon. There is just so much regular work, and the structures are not yet ready for that. So perhaps 10 years from now, we may have a situation like that, where uh, priests, instead of being isolated in in these different parishes uh, instead we'll, we'll just have these missionary teams and they'll just run around like like missionaries in in the past but not now and so that really never worked out into something specific but his calling remained and he wanted to do something uh, about it, and and I have to applaud him for that, and I think most of his parishioners understand that this was not a spur of the moment decision, but something that he had been contemplating for many years and has been praying about and asked the advice of many, and finally decided to do this. However, I was still shocked, and I was shocked because, uh, first of all, he's a good friend, and he is the type of priest that I think we need who is, has a sense of humor, is super creative, has a natural ability to reach a younger generation, um, and, and, and also has the vision um, that is needed to innovate. And it's a bit sad, it fills me with sadness, that he couldn't find that in, in the current situation in, in my diocese, and that he feels that he needs to go to a community in Belgium that may... Help, may give him the opportunity to both live a life in a community and uh, focus more on innovation and in youth pastoral. Um, because I know that he tried. He tried really hard. But if you're just one person, it's super hard to change to, to change the situation. Um, I'm approaching the the big new swimming pool, by the way, it still looks like a star destroyer to me that has crashed on the side of the of the park here. Unbelievable. Anyway, so um, uh, the, the, and the second reason that I was shocked was perhaps a bit selfish. So I was reading um, uh, the, this message, and I thought, "There's another priest that goes away," and uh, the. The problem is he's not the, he's not the first, and perhaps he won't be the last priest who leaves the diocese because they feel called to something different than what they can realize in in the parish situation before him in that same parish, another relatively young priest of my generation, even ten years younger, I think, decided to enter a congregation in the United States. He too longed for a life in community didn't find it in a parish. He too wanted to have a life that was a little bit more, um, I don't know, moved by the Spirit? Is, is it? I'm not sure if that's the right way to word it, because even in parish life, of course, the Holy Spirit is working and you can be moved by the Spirit. But he felt almost as if the current parish work was so predictable, so... Um, I don't know, just didn't, didn't correspond to what he felt called to as a priest. And perhaps the, the, where, where God was, was 
was calling him to be. It was, it, of course, every every priest has does a number of things that uh, are gratifying and 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 fulfills the vocation. But sometimes there can be this calling to to do something that goes beyond that. And and then of course you have to w- wonder: Is this the place where where I need to be? And I know that, of course, the church is a the Catholic Church is a worldwide church, and it. it God sends his messengers and his workers everywhere in the world and we've we've sent our missionaries to faraway countries the only thing and that is probably the selfish part of it is that I feel like but don't leave us we're only a few priests left and how are we going to do this there's still so many parishes we went when I was ordained we still had 340 almost 340 parishes now uh, now that I'm uh, a seasoned priest, not yet an old priest, hopefully, um, of those, what is it, 340, 350 parishes, there are less than 40 left. And the number of parishes is shrinking even more. But the number of priests is diminishing even faster. Uh, there were more than 100 priests active when I was ordained in my diocese alone. Uh, and a lot of them were retired, but were still helping out. You know, if you're... 70 years old or something. A lot of these priests were still active. But they're all dead now. And there are only a few vocations. We've seen some initiatives um, fail. Uh, my bishop invited missionaries from Brazil. And at first we were like, wow, that's so cool to bring this enthusiasm and this kind of Southern Amer- Southern American vibe to, to their pastoral. They did a lot for the, for the younger people. And then because of the immigration laws changing in Europe uh, and in my country, they were sent back. They couldn't stay. And only the priest could stay that was part of that community. But then he was like, I cannot stay here alone. I'm, I'm, I'm called to be part of this community. So he returned to Brazil as well. Nothing left. Nothing left. And so the, the, the parish um, of my friend here, uh, now is without a priest. And that used to be a city where there were, I don't know, six, seven parishes. There are only f- a few churches left. There's basically one central church. But even now, even now that they have shrunk so much, the situation is already so dire and small, even for that situation it's impossible to find a priest. I don't know how we're going to solve this. And so I feel a bit like... Oh, I totally understand why someone needs to answer God's call. And if it, who am I to say that this, this is the wrong decision? Quite on the contrary, I truly believe that he does the right thing. But I sometimes when I pray, I'm like, what are you doing, God? <laughs> this is not very good human resources. Whoa, this, this is slippery here. It's funny. The sun is shining. It's warm, but here in the shadow... There is still ice on the... Black ice on the tiles. Crazy. I'm going to walk in the sunshine. I don't want to... Tell people that on a on the first day of spring... I slipped and broke a leg because of ice. Okay, this is better. There's a bit of wind, though. Uh, so, I sometimes don't understand. And, and that is why... I wanted to bring this up in this week of... Um, uh, of ho- this Holy Week, 
because I think for for the apostles, the situation is is similar or comparable. Well, it's not really comparable, but it's a similar. They have to go a similar way. Um, I think most of them must have felt that taking away Jesus and have him fail in a certain way, uh, despite his popularity, despite the good man that he was, the son of God, uh, he was imprisoned and tortured and killed and taken away from them. And they must have felt so terrible. And, and, and what a dark night of faith that must have been for these apostles and these friends of Jesus and his followers. You know, it was like, this is the guy who's going to help us. And, and uh, they were convinced that this was the Savior that they needed. And then that Savior is taken away from them and is killed and everything seems to fail. And it's night Night falls. It's a very dramatic moment in, in the Gospels. And we, because we know the story so well, we tend to gloss over that. But just imagine how that must have felt. And I wonder what they have prayed in those dark hours. Like, what are you doing, God? Why do you take away Jesus from us? It's just a desperation. And it's only later on that they discover perhaps the depth of what Jesus asked them in the in the garden of Gethsemane you know why, why are you sleeping why don't you stay awake and pray it's because Jesus knew that the only thing you can't truly do is in, in moments of darkness is, is you shouldn't despair and you can't wish bad things to go away but what you can do is entrust yourself to God. It's kind of what Jesus does at the end of that night of prayer is not my will, but your will be done. But it is, that is a movement of the will that is often not accompanied by warm, fuzzy feelings of it's all going to be okay. You know, Jesus knew that he was telling his father that in his darkest moments, not my will, but your will be done. And that is... That is what faith ultimately truly is. It's abandoning you to someone you trust. And you trust that even if you don't understand it, he will bring about salvation. And uh, your faith, your trust is never in vain. And that's what, that's what makes the celebration of, of Easter so important for the church. Because the church has gone and is still going through so many dark moments. Moments of betrayal. Um, the scandals that, that rock the faith of so many. Uh, that, that have caused so much damage. Uh, just like the apostles. The betrayal was in their midst. It was one of them who handed over Jesus. That's... This is, that has always been part of church history, and it's it's terrible. Um, there is this, there's these moments in church history that things go bust and it doesn't work, and Christians are killed. And I know the stories of the refugees in my own parish and uh, the ones that I interviewed in in Amsterdam uh, the past few weeks. How many Christians are are killed and persecuted and put in prison and <laughs> 
question you want to ask God is why and how is, does, can this lead to anything good? We're being, we're being destroyed here. And, and so it, to the light of that, my, my own worries when I see yet another young priest, one of the few priests we still have, leave the country. And, and this is not a, um, you know, he's not persecuted or anything, but there, there is a bit of a um, disappointment in, in, uh, that I feel with him. It's like, why can't we change? Why can't we be more innovative? Uh, and I, 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 I'm fully aware of the fact that the, the field in which I work um, evangelization and new, new media and, and this worldwide apostolate, that is a huge grace. And it gives me so much joy to, to both serve my parish and the older generation in my parish, but to also build up something in a, basically on a new continent. I'm, I'm a missionary and now I'm a parish priest at the same time. And that helps me to keep that balance and to keep motivated but I can also totally empathize with the feelings of uh, many of my fellow priests that are sometimes discouraged. And like, we're never going to make it if we continue like this. But then we can't abandon ship because there's still passengers on it. We can't start anew. We can't build a new boat because the old one, even though it's leaking and sinking, still has people on board for who we need to, to care. And it's very difficult to keep doing what you do even though you feel that something needs to change but nobody seems to want to change course and uh, the captain is like oh it's just a very small iceberg we can go around it (laughs) and everybody is sounding the alarm way too late and then the Titanic is already sinking that that feeling sometimes can overcome you and can take your breath away it's like is this why why I became a priest and um, so I can understand that and at the same time It's nothing compared to the suffering that's going on in other parts of the world, in other uh, areas of the church. But what matters is, in all these situations, small and big, is what are you going to do with it? The the situation is as it is, but can can you trust? Can you keep praying? Can you keep asking for guidance in those dark moments? Or are you just going to despair? And... For me, that is something that, uh, thankfully, and it's a grace, I've been able to do more and more lately. I'm almost run over by the bikes that are turning to the right here. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I think what makes me stay put and continue is that I've seen in the past how often in situations where I thought, this is the end, this is never going to work, I fail, I don't have what it takes to be a priest in this situation. Every time, if I would just stay calm and trust, and sometimes that trust takes a while to grow, and you sometimes need the help of other people to reestablish that trust, but that ultimately, things are always going to solve themselves, and somehow God always has a bigger plan than I had. And, and to just give you two examples of my own life, uh, when I started as a young priest, um, I think I was about priest for about three years, I became so overworked, and the demands of the parish were exactly 
uh, what I've just been talking about. It was like, do this, do this, do this, because this is how we've always done it. This is what we want you to do. And we don't like your new ideas. <laughs> and it, it was so frustrating and, and difficult to deal with. And I, f I felt like a failure and I got sick for, for about six months. And it took me way more time than that to find my balance again. And I've learned a lot in hindsight. I've learned to establish my own boundaries and to uh, not trying to solve the problems in my parish. And not certainly the most important thing that I learned was, and this is one of the people that accompanied me in those days, told me, you are not the Messiah. You are not the Son of God. You are a priest, but he is the one who is in charge. And you know this, but now start, start to believe it. And that helped. That truly helped. It's di still difficult to see things fail and to see that things need to change, but they don't. But it's this awareness that I don't have to solve everything. There is someone else who, who does, and he only asks me, do you want to trust me? So that's, that was one... Uh, one of the toughest lessons that I've had in my life as a priest, but also one of the most important ones. I'm trying to cross the road here, but I have to wait for the traffic light to turn green and the ticking noise to accelerate to indicate to the blind that they can, they can walk. Why are the bikes allowed to cross the road, but we're not? That's not fair. Uh, perhaps the thing is the button is broken. That sometimes happens. Yeah, that's it. It didn't register. <laughs> okay, well, we'll just wait. The second really tough moment was at the very beginning of uh, Tridio. And those of you that have been following me for the past, I don't know, 10 years, longer than that, uh, you, you've witnessed this with me. It was, we. I felt this, need is calling to to get to the next level that we started tridio and had a few people working with me then and then we tried and we tried and we we talked with the bishops for months and it felt like they they started to understand what we wanted and they they seemed to be on board and they because our our only desire was to help them to to use these modern media to to and to use them well instead of using them in the amateurish way that so many parishes and dioceses all over the world are using them. And, uh, and then at the very last moment where, when we were on the verge of, of starting this together, they basically sent us an email saying, well, we've reconsidered, we're not going to do it, we're going to do it ourselves. And then they started their own YouTube channel and... I had to think a lot about the advice that <laughs> a little rabbit gets in Bambi. Is if you haven't got anything good to say, it's better not to say anything at all. So I won't say anything at all about that. But, oh my gosh. And it was such a test. And I, I, again, I got physically ill. Um, I got uh, lots of nerve pain and what, because of the stress was so huge. And But that turned out to be the the big changing moment and I kept asking why why is this failing why is this happening I know that I'm on the right track I know that that I that we should do this and this is where we should go as a church why does this fail 
everything seemed to go well and we did nothing wrong, ultimately. And yet it fails. That's the most frustrating thing ever, that, that you try to do everything well and you try to listen to where the Spirit is moving you and you do try to find uh, a, a community that supports it and to talk with the bishops and educate them and help them and lobby and talk. And despite all these good efforts, it still fails. Well, we're a couple of years later and I don't think that we would ever been able to do what we're doing now had we gone that, in that direction. And, <laughs> but it's only afterwards that you see, for, oh, now I understand that God was actually pr protecting us. Even though we were thinking, uh, he's blocking everything, you know, what are you doing, God? I only understand it now, and I'm grateful, <laughs> I'm super grateful that we didn't go, that, that we didn't do what we were planning on doing. Because it would have been a really difficult situation. I can't go into details, but I think there would be a lot of trouble for us if we had done what we initially thought we should do. And it helped us to rethink to again kind of, you you reset everything because you fail in a certain way but that's the moment to ask you to to ask yourself again so what is it that you want and so so sometimes god will let you will allow these things to go wrong allow you to experience defeat and failure because he knows that that will help you um readjust your antennas in a certain way to his message and to become an even better instrument of his will. The downside is it is always afterwards. It's always in hindsight that you see that. And that is, I think, what this whole Holy Week is all about. It's trust in, even if you can't see, it's having faith even though you're blind and let yourself guide, just like a blind person would, would do uh, when crossing the road. If someone approaches you and asks you, shall I help you? You have to trust that person, and sometimes God is like that. I want you to cross this road. Oh, but I hear traffic. Wait a minute, if I, if I try to do this and that, no, just trust me. <laughs> Let go of your fear. Trust me, I'll bring you to the other side. That is what, what's, what Easter is all about. And what he, what he did, he, he, he did raise Jesus from the death, and it was the founding... Uh, event in in history that that changed everything because from now on god has shown us that he will keep his promises and that he will do this and not only for jesus but jesus said himself if you trust me you too will live even though you have to die you too will bear fruit even if it seems as if god is pruning you and you're losing And you're abandoning and letting go. But it's only when you let go of your life, or if you express that in a Hebrew way, if you hate your life, only then you will, you will save it. But if you love your life, if you hold on to what you think you control, you're only at the beginnings of, of what it takes to, to be a follower of Jesus. And it's not by accident that when Jesus calls his, his disciples on the beach or elsewhere, it's always... Let everything go. <laughs> Trust me. Follow me. Come and see. But don't hold on to what you control or what you, what, what you have right now. Dare to lose. And uh, when he sends out his uh, apostles, the same thing. 
don't take extra stuff with you. Don't try to ensure yourself against what could go wrong. What I want you to do is to trust me. Hey, there's a, a car with cameras on it, and it's not a Google car. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to be on Google Maps recording an episode of The Walk. How cool would that be? This is traffic research. Oh, well, there goes my second of fame. <laughs> but it's all about... And, and that, that, that's, the hard, that's the hard part. That's why it's so challenging uh, this, this week. Because in, in the suffering and the doubts and the fears of the apostles, I recognize so much of my own fears. But hopefully, just like the apostles, I can, it can help me. This week, these celebrations can uh, affirm my faith and uh, uh, can strengthen my resolve to keep trusting no matter what and to stay put unless God tells me to go elsewhere. Um, that's what I wanted to share with you. And uh, I would like to wish you, and I'm praying for you, that, for, that this week can also help you um, to, to trust when life is hard, when you doubt yourself or you doubt even God and his intentions and you wonder why is stuff happening to me and why do things go wrong, why is there suffering, all these big questions. You won't get an answer right away. But I think Holy Week and Easter show us that God will answer. But he will answer at his moment when, when he thinks it's the best time to answer and in the meantime, he'll give you the strength to carry whatever cross you have to carry. And he may send you angels and other people to help you carry that cross until the moment that he takes it away from your shoulders and, uh, and gives you new life. And with that, happy Easter. <laughs> I'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. And if you want to help me uh, in that mission, then please go over to tridio.com, become a Patreon or a sponsor. There's all sorts of information on the website. We've started our fund drive, or we start our fund drive on the 1st of April for 50 days. We raise funds to for this new phase in, in Tridio, in, the, in, in, in this, uh, the history of our, of our small uh, platform. But we can't do that without your help. Take care, and see you soon. <laughs>